Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This podcast is sponsored by Terraform Development proudly supports the Hopi tribe and nonprofit Hopi entities to provide essential technical support in engineering, architectural, and project management services. Eddie Kalnimtua can relate to the hard work on the Hopi reservation, including the cornfield duties and traditional ceremonies that he was raised on. He values this tradition, so Terraform Development was formed to meet these needs on the Hopi reservation. Contact Terraform Development at T E R R A, the number 4 O R M. Dot com and follow them on Instagram at Terraform Development. Also sponsored by... Hi, I'm Kiona, Hopi Relief volunteer and board member. Hopi Relief is a grassroots, Hopi-led, nonprofit organization founded to provide relief services, food boxes, and essential supplies to Hopi tribal members throughout the COVID-19 pandemic and beyond. Our focus is to uplift the Hopi community by empowering our people to create homegrown solutions to challenges we face. We are supported by the generosity of like-minded individuals and organizations who simply want to help. You can get involved by following us on social media, sharing our story, or donating on our website, www.hopirelief.org. We are at Hopi Relief on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now listening to the Carl and J-Man Save the World podcast. I'm your host, the five star, five diamond chef. And with me is not the godfather of Hopi podcasting, Carl. Well, you did that uh, poll on IG and it came out to where I didn't even know anything was going on. I don't do I don't do Instagram. So thank you, everybody out there for giving me the godfather status. (laughs) And uh, thank you, everybody, for uh, believing in me. I like to accept this award. So for those that don't know what Carl is talking about, we had a poll on Instagram because Carl insists that he's the godfather, although everybody out there truly knows that it's J-Man. And so we had the <laughs> listeners that follow us on Instagram kind of uh, give, give their opinions. And and the, the I, I guess the outcome kind of leaned a little bit towards you. But, you know, the way that I took it was that, you know, a lot of people were goofing around with the yeah. poll, yeah, yeah. not really taking it seriously. So, you know, we went back to like your high school years <laughs> when uh, the kids would vote somebody nerdy like you to be homecoming king or, you know, that type of stuff as a joke. So I, I, I figured that's what the, that, the low end kid was. Dude. <laughs> the one that's in special ed, you get the, <laughs> you get the, uh, you get the award. Because we went to high school together. Yeah, we did. And I know that you hung out with the kids that, uh, the kids from underneath the stairs. And, and I hung out with the cool crowd, so. Well, you know, I I thought I was cool. I thought I was the bomb in high school. You thought you were the bomb. The bomb. Com. The bomb. Diggity bomb. The bomb. Is, is that still a word that we can say? You can say it. I'm not going to say 
is that a, like is that, that a cool word that we can still you're, say you're, like the bomb diggity dong dong bong you're gonna ruin my drip carl <laughs> i got drip <laughs> it's gonna slide you some shade bro <laughs> <laughs> those are the new terms i learned <laughs> And this was on YouTube. You know, the funniest thing is that the other day, my six-year-old, he said the word sus. Sus? He said that that means you're sus. What's a sus? <laughs> it's one of the new terms that the kids say. Really? Sus, yeah. But but anyway, it's uh, it's our uh, finale for this season four. This is the finale. Yep. This is the finale. Finale for season four. Yeah, and just like four. To thank everybody. Thank you. That uh, has been listening to us, supporting the podcast that we did uh, go over the 30,000 downloads. Oh, yeah. Mark. Yeah. So a big, uh, big celebration there. And that only includes um, the numbers that are measured through the anchor site. That oh, yeah. That doesn't include the YouTube website. Yeah. And so, you know, that our numbers are probably a lot higher than than there. But, you know, definitely like to thank everybody out there that supported the podcast. Like to give some quick shout outs before we get into the main topic of today, because, you know, you're not probably not going to hear from us for at least an about four weeks or so, yeah, about a month yeah. while we go kind of recharge and get other things for the podcast, other things for the uh, CJ podcast brand ready. But definitely like to give a big, huge shout out to our 30 pack contributors, our monthly donors. Big shout out to Alexis Kahi, to Harrison HB Billigodi, to Michaela Williams, Deidre Leslie. Rachel Reinhardt, Noel Coyohoma, Joyce Hamilton, Millard Owenyama, Gary Lomayesva, and Michelle Holden. All right. Well, thank you, all of our 30 Pop Pack sponsors. Oh, my God. That was kind of hard to say. <laughs> 30 Pop Hawk. 30 pack pot and that list gets longer and longer i got exactly. winded off that list and you know big shout out to you all big big quest to you all but also like to give a huge shout out to to our sponsors to our season four sponsors big shout out to terraform development our boys uh stanford lake and uh also a big shout out to strong ones to the res famous wife big shout out to our boy justin villarreal and a big shout out to uh, Eddie Kalnetu. All right. Well, thank you, guys. Thank you for all the sponsorships throughout season four. We appreciate that. Without you guys, you know, CJ Podcast would not exist. Probably exist in Soul's basement or something. <laughs> We'd probably be recording the podcast <laughs> off a tape recorder. <laughs> Soul's old tape recorder. Soul's old tape recorder. Reel to reel. You have to load it up. <laughs> <laughs> and then just got another, some some more real quick shout outs to give a big shout out to uh, Honyu the Inc. Who's been supportive of, of us throughout the season. Big shout out to our girl, Kelly Tungovia. You see all of her beautiful graphic design work on all of our social medias. Uh, big shout out to Deanna Machuka, who's been helping us with the episodes. Big shout out to KNEF and the Peace Academy Center for hooking us up with our home here at Peace Academy Studios. And another big shout out to L&K's Eatery, who's been keeping All us right. fed. Thank you, guys. During our podcast sessions. Yes, thank you guys for for keeping us busy, for helping us out. I know you guys uh, deserve more than what we're giving you, but, you know, we're we're very, very small time, so... But I think that we could be big time. Oh, yeah, we're, we're making it big. So. We're recording this today... We're supposed to be on KTNN. Oh yes, we are supposed to be on KTNN. So if you, so if you hear, so it, if you hear us, it, let this, us know uh, where to next find week. It. <laughs> <laughs> I know this is going to come out 
way after KTN. And so, and, and so we're disrupting the the, the time continuum yeah. and talking about that news. But you know, big shout out to also to folks that bought shirts from us, bought shirts from uh, Carl and Jman. Big Big shout out to you all rocking those uh, so think some cool t shirts and those mm-hmm, mm-hmm t shirts out there. And also a big shout out to all the folks that bought us coffee. We are definitely energized yeah. from all that coffee. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. Again, I'll give you another shout. Got another clap there. Thank you, everybody, for five minutes worth of just thanking people. <laughs> I was going to say, goddamn, I feel like we already recorded the whole podcast episode. All right. Already. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. We're going to go now. Let's do it. And so, you know, today's episode, we're going to wrap up season four with kind of, a, I, I guess, kind of a a darker themed episode. Oh yeah. Today we're going to be talking about addiction. Addiction. We're going to be talking about addiction and we got a special guest in the uh, studios today. We're going to welcome him on in about probably 15, 10 minutes or so as we talk a little bit, kind of lay the framework for addiction. And so I guess when you think about addiction that there's, um, so many, th- so many things you could be addicted to, right? Oh, yeah. But I think that when you talk about it from a reservation context and you say the word addiction, that really that there's two types of addictions that pop up real quickly. Okay. There's drug addiction and alcohol addiction. Oh, yeah. But yeah, outside of that, there's so many other addictions. Right? Oh, yeah. There is a very, very wide range of addictions wide, out here on the reservation. Wide array of uh, addictions. And I think one that's kind of getting a little bit more... Um, I guess traffic in terms of people talking about it is gambling addiction. Gambling addiction. Especially because you got more of the tribes building casinos here in the state of Arizona. That's one. And then I think that another addiction, too, that people go through is uh, addiction to medication. Uh Uh-huh. Medication pills. Yeah, yeah. But that's an addiction that we don't think a whole lot about, right? No, no, no. It's kind of like almost like a a, a white man's addiction. (laughs) To be addicted to well, pills. What's that? Was that a Xanax? Xanax. Yeah, white men are addicted to Xanax, Xanax. and Hopis are addicted to, uh, you know, to uh, aspirin. Aspirin, because <laughs> <laughs> that's all we can afford. <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, for myself, I probably am addicted to like cameras. I mean, I keep buying cameras for some reason, even though I still have like a, a nice camera. I'll buy another camera. Is that? Is that an addiction? Is that is that considered an addiction? I think they call that a hobby. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, you know, there, with, with all these different types of addictions that are out there, but at least in terms of what we've seen on the reservation, and especially like what we've seen growing up, that a lot of those addictions really do relate to those top two that we talked about, alcohol yeah. and drug addiction. And so, you know, I remember like kind of thinking back to when I was a kid, that as a kid growing up here on the reservation that you saw alcoholism a lot, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was one of the pinnacle part of growing up as a res kid out here. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about it a whole lot, too, about in our past episodes that there are these little uh, hints in terms of what the alcoholism and what the alcohol abuse is like here on the reservation. Because we talked about, you know, as kids that we used to go around collecting uh, beer bottles or even T-Bird bottles. <laughs> I remember one time as, as kids, you know, with my friends from the day school that yeah. we, we walked through the entire village and we probably picked up at least 30 T-Bird bottles. Really? Yeah, 30 green T-Bird bottles. That. That reminds me of a story. Uh, this one guy. Can you please keep it under uh, 20 minutes, okay. <laughs> please? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> so I remember this one guy. He flew his plane right over Hotevela Village, 
and it sparkled this green glow. And he's like, man, that looks like Emerald City. So, <laughs> and we, he went down to go look at it, and it was all these broken glass bottles that were everywhere, not all green glass bottles everywhere. So, <laughs> we're known as Emerald City at Hoodvella. <laughs> but you know, like like that, like we collected all these uh, green Tiber bottles as kids, yeah. And then you know, we went to go and smash them. But that was always often something that you came across when you're walking around the villages with your friends. Yeah. And then I think that it wasn't until I got older, like into junior high, um, high school, is when I started noticing the the drug addiction. Exactly. I mean, like when we were growing up, we didn't, well, for myself, we saw, well, I saw that alcohol was like the main part of addiction for everybody. You know, you saw your tahas, you saw your aunties, you saw... You saw other people doing it. You saw your friends doing it. Your parents for your some people. parents for some people. And Even Kuala and Solo it, be- it became this normalized idea of like, this is how life is. And and when you're growing up, it's like, yeah, I mean, alcohol is, is part of Hopi life. And you're, you're saying that, okay, yeah, that's fine with me. You know, and, and, and with that, it's just like, it, it, it just becomes that normal, you just become normalized to that whole idea of not addiction anymore it's not becoming addiction anymore yeah that's right because then you think about like being little kids like even little little kids yeah the way that you would play sometimes because i remember that when i was a little kid that i would take like some sort of soda like a sprite or something and i pour it into a glass (laughs) but because of what i saw how i saw people drink like whiskey or drink some of the more hard liquors that you don't fill a, a glass full of liquor that you pour a shot's worth into the glass. And I remember as a kid that I would take my soda and I would pour the exact same amount as the same amount of shots that I would see being poured into the glass from from people that I used to see do that. Oh, yeah. And then act like I'm I'm drinking the liquor. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, with, with that in mind, I mean, with that in mind, it was weird to see your friends do it. It was, it was weird to see your your uh, classmates do it even though it was normalized in that way it just became it just became like that normalization of like um or that idea of like okay so this this is what they do but how do i how do i address it in a way and so you you don't address it you don't you don't see that it's it needs to be addressed you don't address it you just fall in line yeah you just fall in line and you just say that okay so i know that you drink or I know that you smoke, or I know that you do drugs, but I don't, you know, I don't know how to, how to do, how to deal with these things. <laughs> I don't know how to fix you. I just know, I, I guess might as well just join in and yeah. you know, be a part of it. But, you know, like, like when I was, I was talking about, you know, when I think about like junior high school or high school outside of alcohol, that you really started to see the drugs. Yeah. And so what, what are some drugs that you can think of that you've seen being taken around here on the reservation? Well, for one thing, I think the biggest one around here is meth. Meth is probably like one of the biggest uh, drug addictions out here. What's meth? Uh, I have no idea. I I heard it's, take like, it. it's like candy. Looks like candy, I, I believe. So. Do, you, do you chew it? Do you swallow <laughs> it? There's some several houses that burned down. I'm pretty sure those were meth houses. So. you shoot it in your goodie? <laughs> That is strange because I, I never knew how, you know, you would take meth. Uh-huh. It's weird because I, I watched um, Breaking Bad. Remember there, yeah. you know, yeah, Breaking Bad. It, 
and um, they teach you about how to make meth and stuff like that. And but they never show you how it's really how it's taken. Yeah, how it's really taken. They just kind of show you little clips here and there until like you you watch movies and you say that oh you know you have to get grab a spoon a, a spoon and a candle and a, a dirty needle <laughs> and so I, I think you're thinking of uh, heroin. Oh well, I don't know how to do. I'm not I'm not a drug addict, so. <laughs> I have no idea what what you know how to do drugs. When when I think back on 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 those teenage years, at least junior high school, high yeah. school, that you know uh, crystal meth, or at least in Tuba they called it G G, yeah, G, which is short for glass. And then, but aside from G, that it, weed was was a big one. Oh yeah, weed marijuana. Is, yeah, Mary Jane. Well, weed now is weed now is like the. What, what did they say? The gateway drug. The, the, the gateway drug. <laughs> it's the gateway drug. But it's kind of interesting, though, because I don't know if you had similar experience, but I remember being very young, like yeah. grade school young. Yeah. And my peers around me were, were smoking weed already. Really? And then so you hear what some of the terms that they would use to describe either the weed or the tools that they use to smoke weed. And so some of, like, I used to, because I was so young and I was very pure. At least I think I, I like to think that I was pure, <laughs> pure in my grade school <laughs> years. But then, you know, hearing some of the terms that they would use to describe like that, like, you know, like, oh, we're going to go smoke weed. But then, you know, as, as a farmer, you think about weeds, like the weeds that you uh, hoe outside. <laughs> and so that was something that I would think about or they would think about, you know, we're going to go smoke weed. My brother has a bowl, a bowl. How do you smoke weed out of a, a bowl? Because then I'm thinking like a like cereal, a cereal bowl. bowl. Yeah, yeah. And then they would say other things like, oh, you know, I know someone who has some. Let's go get a dime. A dime? <laughs> How does money play into this aside from, you know, it's so, it, I remember that was like some of my earliest memories. Is yeah. Like trying to contextualize these terms, bowl, something that I associated with breakfast or, you know, a dime. Something that I associated with money, something you find inside the couch. <laughs> and so, you know, hearing these terms and trying to decipher what it is that my friends were talking about. And, you know, that's kind of where I was introduced to drugs at, at a very, very young age. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, with both you and I, we grew up in the pinnacle part where drugs were like the all time high and 90s, 80s, 90s. I mean, it's it was still a drug city. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was no real, like, you know, anything that would, would combat this whole thing. Mm -hmm. You had dare. Remember that, <laughs> remember that, that lion dare, the dare lion. I thought it was a bear. It was a lion. Was I thought it was a bear. I thought, I think it was a lion. I think it's a bear. No, no, no. It was a lion. This is why I'm the godfather of podcasting. <laughs> it was a lion. And anybody out there that voted for Carl definitely was on drugs. <laughs> We were a dare people. We're dared. <laughs> we're dared. We had the pencils and the little little red red uh, you know achievement pad little things the ribbons. But then you know I guess aside from the marijuana from from the Mary Jane that I think when I got into high school that we saw more of like cocaine. Yeah, I saw people take cocaine in high school, and then the G is something that kind of really came into play especially in high school because then i know that out here on hopi that that uh, meth is bad yeah but when we were growing up going to school at tuba city high school that's when tuba was like the capital of the world at least on the reservation for uh, meth usage you know with all of this talk and all of this uh ideas 
there was really nobody like nobody that we could turn to or like somebody that could actually help us like mm-hmm. there were there was there was no substance abuse programs or there was no, no nothing like that on the reservation i'm sure that there were car we just <laughs> probably didn't know know about them i know that there was the dare lion on there so i swear it's a bear <laughs> but <laughs> all right well you know, it was it was interesting. So and so I guess right now we'll take a quick commercial. Break. Yeah, let's go ahead and take a quick commercial break here and we'll see you in a bit. Strong ones. Every strong ones design has a story and a unique meaning. They create designs to celebrate traditions of running and uplift native cultures across the globe. They also partner with local artists on special projects in hopes to expose talent and creativity of Hopi people. Strong ones are often referred to as Ho Hongvit in the Hopi language. They can be found at hohongvit.com. That's H-O-H-O-N-G-V-I-T.com. And we're back. And so I'd like to welcome to the podcast our very special guest, Mr. Joe Baca. Afternoon. All right. Well, thank you for joining us, Mr. Baca. Thank you for joining us, Joe. And so I guess if you could give yourself, uh, give your introduction to our listeners and kind of share a little bit about yourself, you know, uh, just let us know if it was, if you were one of the perpetrators leaving T-Bird bottles all over the village. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) All right. Well, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, First of all, I wanted to say thank you to Carl and J-Man. It's an honor to to be out here and part of the podcast. I'm a, I'm a loyal follower and listener, you know. Um, My name is Joe Baca. Um, I am a healthcare social worker slash counselor. I work for the Tuba City Regional Healthcare Corporation, and our newly built uh, community counseling center. So, um, other than that, I am I'm I'm mixed, man. Carl might call me a mutt, um, but <laughs> a, <laughs> muggle. A, <laughs> a muggle, a <laughs> muggle, call you a muggle. <laughs> I'm Navajo, Hopi, Assiniboine, and um, uh, Hispanic. And uh, recently, just found out we're also part Paiute. So. Oh, really? Weird. Interesting. <laughs> don't uh, don't uh, don't ask how I got that. that makes sense. <laughs> I had no part in that. But uh, anyway, it's uh, uh, something I'm 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 proud to say and proud to be a part of. But um, you know, I, I I was asked to come out here and and you know the topic of addiction. It's a it's a big topic and it, and it's something I'm I'm passionate about sharing um, with those who want to hear it. You know, I have a bit of a story and I'll I'll share that. Um, oh, definitely. Yeah, go ahead. You know, I'm I'm a uh, first of foremost I'm a recovering addict. Uh, specifically meth. So, you know, some of the, uh, you know, that was mentioned earlier and, and meth is a, is a highly potent stimulant. Yeah. Um, it has, you know, adverse effects on you or, you know, you're able to stay up days at a time, uh, to some extent, you know, upon first use, you know, they say it's, it's, it's addictive. You're addicted after the first try, after the first use. And, you know, I, I, I share a testament to that, not a good one, but, you know, I, I can uh, relate to that because after my first use, I was, I was hooked. I was addicted. I was hooked. Um, that's how strong and potent it was. And, you know, it, it started off, you know, they mentioned gateway drugs, uh, marijuana being a gateway drug. Um, you know, there's some argument about that, but, you know, that's what I started doing. You know, I started smoking a little weed after high school. I felt like, you know, I was going through some some tough times. Uh, my parents had had separated at the time. And for me, what I come to realize years after is, is this was a way for me to deal with this situation, you know, to party. I felt like I had earned my freedom. I had gotten into school. I was going to college at the time, got in my own apartment. And I felt like, you know what, I, I earned my place. If I want to party, I can party a little bit. I'll just be careful about it. But, 
you know, once I dabbled into the, you know, the alcohol, the marijuana, I just, it turned into, you know, once or twice a month to every weekend. And then it started overflowing into the weekdays, Mondays, Sundays, um, that type of thing. And, and, you know, went from marijuana to the psychedelic stuff, LSD, mushrooms, and then into cocaine, which I got, you know, pretty strung out on just, just as well, you know, but then I was introduced to meth and, um, you know, that just, it, it blew me away. It made me feel like Superman. It made me feel like I could get a lot accomplished in a short amount of time, which, it, you know, I didn't get anything done. <laughs> it just gave that, that, that sense of um, euphoria, that sense of, well, I'm on top of the world. I can do whatever I want now. Yeah. But in, in, in reality, you know, I wasn't doing a darn thing. I lost my job. I lost my apartment. I, I broke, I ruined relationships with friends, um, family. And, um, you know, I lost trust with a lot of people. I destroyed a lot of things in, in that process. And, um, you know, I remember the big meth surge that happened in the early 2000s in Tuba. Yeah. And, you know, it, it was a scary thing, you know, but at that time I wasn't, you know, I was a part of the problem. Um, I thought, you know, in order to support my habit, I, I, I tried to sell some to make some money. That didn't work out because I was a big user. Um, and, you know, within that, that time I went through, you know, like I said, I lost everything. You know, I was walking around the streets of Tempe um, homeless. Oh, no with, kidding. Yeah, with just the clothes on my back, and 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 um, you know that's how bad I got, and I didn't realize that until again after you know after I gone through my recovery and whatnot, I thought, damn, you know, at one point in time, I I didn't have shit, man. I didn't have nothing. I was walking around the street, jumping around from apartment to apartment, hanging out with other addicts and and whatnot. And there's a whole underworld out there. It's it's you know I share these conversations with my fiance, and and she you know she always kind of chuckles and said, I'm, your stories are scary. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a dark world. It's unforgiving. It's dark. It, it's, you know, people you think are your friends will turn on you in a heartbeat. You know, I'd been in a few situations where I could have been stabbed. I could have been shot. Um, I don't know how I got out of those. Um, and, and, you know, I'm thankful to be alive today. Oh yeah. And, and it took a lot, you know, the, the, the meth took me on a, on a deep, dark, um, journey that I, I, I wouldn't wish upon my worst enemy. Not that I have enemies, but, um, I, I just wouldn't wish that upon anybody. You know, at, at my very worst, I was up for almost 14 days. You know, I had napped off and on here and there, but imagine staying up one night, staying up two nights, you know, yeah. maybe school or something like the next day you're tired, you're dragging, you're, you got some brain fog, not COVID brain fog, but just <laughs> brain fog. Um, your, your reactions are a little delayed and, you know, after a few days and nights of that, you start seeing things, you start hallucinating. Wow, no kidding. You feel like everybody's after you. Um, and again, at my worst after that, you know, like I said, almost 14 day, I had been up partying and, and doing meth that whole time and I was smoking it. Um, and, um, you know, I ended up in a, in a little storage unit outside an apartment, you know, apartments have a uh, little storage units right next to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Was, yeah. I was sitting in there because I felt like everybody was looking for me. It was, it was a weekday. It was early in the morning and you know, I was sitting on, on my brother's um, balcony because, you know, I couldn't get inside because I was high, of course. And um, I'm sitting there looking. I'm looking across the street. And I'm like, there's somebody behind that AC unit down there across the street. He's looking at me. Now there's two of them. Now they have uh, binoculars. Now they've got radios. What the hell's going on? So I went down into the, in the parking garage and I looked down, you know, down the, the parking, parking lot and looked down one way. And I could swear I saw heads popping up and they were getting closer. And I said, oh, shoot, that, that's law enforcement. But I kept thinking and arguing with myself, why would law enforcement be looking for me? I don't have mass quantities. I don't sell. I'm not a big drug cartel dealer leader. Yeah. Um, you know, what I had, I already smoked it. You know, I don't have nothing on me and, and I didn't even have shoes on at the time. <laughs> so 
you know, I, I ran across the apartment complex to another place, another guy that I knew, and he wasn't home. I noticed his little storage unit was open. I sat in there and, and, and I just, I went through this episode and I'm sure it lasted a few hours where I felt like everything was closing in on me. This apartment complex was right next to the freeway. The traffic was getting loud. It was a weekday. I could hear helicopters. They were probably doing their morning traffic alerts or whatever they do. And, um, you know, it's just, it's getting louder and louder. Everything is amplified because I'm under the influence of meth and it's getting louder and louder. Now I hear footsteps kind of faint. They're getting louder. I hear key chains jingling. I said, oh crap, they're coming for me. So this whole time I'm thinking when they come up here and I felt like it's ATF, it's DEA, it's CIA, it's, it's, it, it's NHA. Everybody's looking for me. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's looking for me. They're coming for me, but I couldn't figure out why. But so I'm thinking they're coming. What am I going to do? They got to come up to the second stop. Second, second um, story, they got to come up here. I'm in the um, little uh, storage unit here, hiding, shaking, and shivering, and scared. And when they get up here, I can either just surrender myself or I can run. I thought, oh, hell no, I'm not doing that. I'm going to run. Let's see if it's, they got to be cops. Now I hear dogs. It's probably cops and canine units. They usually come in pairs. There's usually a dog with them. What I can do is I can run right in between them. The dog will get uh, tangled up in their legs, and they'll both fall, and I'll get away, no problem. Then I thought, no, then they'll charge me for uh, hurting a police officer. I can't do that. Yeah. I can jump off the balcony, man. I'm, I'm, oh, no. I, I know I can do I can jump, tuck, and roll, and I'm out of here, man. You're not, you know, I used to watch, uh, you know, on, on, on the movie Friday where, uh, uh, what's it, uh, one of the crackheads, you ain't never catching a crackhead. <laughs> I just figured, you ain't catching a meth addict, man. I'm, 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 I'm fast, man. I, the blink of an eye, I'm gone, man. I'm barefooted too. Shoot. <laughs> <laughs> that makes me even faster. <laughs> exactly. So I, I just kept arguing, okay, I'm going to run. No, I'm going to pretend to give myself up. Maybe they won't cuff me. We'll walk down to the bottom, then I'll bolt. No, I'll jump and run. Tuck, wait, there's bushes down there. So I'm arguing. I don't know how long <laughs> this is going on. I'm like, I'm going to get away. The helicopters are getting closer. Traffic's getting louder. And I'm like, damn. Okay, here they come. Now I can hear the footsteps are louder. They're coming up the steps. I hear the what I thought is gun belts jingling. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, they come and they knock on the door. I'm like, oh, shit. Okay, be quiet, be quiet. They knock again. And I'm like, all right, all right. I, I, I slowly start to stand up, take a deep breath. And I'm like, all right, I'm, oh, I'm just going to give myself up. <laughs> all that, all that frustration and talk and all that tough guy, you know, went out the door. Oh, I'll just give myself up, man. So I'm sitting there waiting for them to open the door. It never happens. The traffic slows down. Helicopters are gone. All I hear is, you know, it's a beautiful day out. Just birds chirping. I look outside and I, I see, you know, what looks like a maintenance guy. He's walking away. His keys are kind of jingling behind him. And I was like, what the heck was that all about? I look at the door and there's a notice on the door. It says to all, um, all, all tenants in, in the, this complex, we're turning off the water at 1 PM. It's going to be shut off for half an hour. We're just letting you know, you know, I had a, I had a, just a crazy, I was oh, dripping wow. in sweat. I was sitting in a puddle of sweat. I, I was shaking. I was, I was so tired. And you know, after that, I, I went down, I found uh, some bushes with a little bit of shade. I went and took a nap because I was so tired. It burned me out. And, after I woke up from that nap, sleeping behind some bushes, I, I got up and I thought I had a, you know, I, I called these moments of clarity where I thought, what the hell am I doing? What are you doing to yourself? You're, you know, a few things are going to happen here. You're either going to die out here on the streets. Somebody's going to kill you or, you know, you're, 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 you're going to turn this around. You're going to do something about it. And, you know, um, within that time frame, I had a, um, you know, my, my, my oldest son was born, you know, towards the end of my addiction and, um, you know, that gave me some motivation, seeing my family and seeing the disappointment in my mom's eyes, seeing the, uh, um, 
the disappointment in my my youngest brother's eyes. You know, one day I came and I ran into my mom and I was I was high. I asked her for some money and she, you know, she said I won't give you no money. I'll 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 buy you something to eat. And I said, no, I'm okay. You know, and I got all pissed off, of course. And, you know, I just walked off and, and my brother came running over and um, looked like he was crying or he was about to cry. And he, you know, he handed me some money and he said, here, get, here's some money, get something to eat or whatever you needed it for. And, you know, that that really hurt me to see it that way, to see my brother like that. And and what kind of, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the oldest of three brothers. And yeah, um, I felt like, man, what, what the hell am I doing? You know, what? I mean, look at that. My brother looks up to me and, 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 you know, I'd hate to see him end up in a situation like this. And, um, you know, to see my mom, there was a situation after I went home, I finally went home, saw my son and I thought I needed to make a change. I went home and, and rested, you know, reluctantly. And I'm sure hesitantly, my mom let me back in the house and I slept. And always when I, every time I tell the story, I'm reminded, you know, I slept for what I thought was just a weekend, but my mom always reminds me, no, you were asleep for about a week. All you, you got up to eat, to use the bathroom, to shower and, you were asleep. So, you know, I, I really needed a lot of rest. And once I finally woke up from that, I took a walk around Tuba and I went to see an old employer of mine who's like another mom to me too. And um, I went to see her and she, I walked in the office. She closed the door behind me and um, I said hi. And she's, um, she walked over, turned the open sign around to close. And I was like, what's going on? I started getting paranoid because this is a mortuary too. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking, are they going to put me in a casket right now? <laughs> <laughs> And she said, uh, you know, it's really good to see you, Joe. She goes, I'm going to be real honest with you. Um, you look like shit. I was like, wow. And, and you know, my, my first reaction was to, to be upset. And I thought, you know, I'm just going to let her talk. I'm still, I'm still in that addictive mindset, you know. Yeah, so yeah. I'm sitting there. So she said, you know what, you're, you're her nephew, which is a good friend of mine, you know, she said, he's, he's worried about you. He won't even answer my calls now. He's afraid to answer because he thinks that every time I call, calling from the mortuary that, I'm calling to tell him, hey, we found Joe. We're going to put him away. I need you to come up here. Kind of thing. He's, he's gone. We found him dead. And I was like, wow. And she goes, that's how bad I think you've gotten. And she said, what's going on? I said, I, you know, I've gotten into some, for the first time, I said, I've gotten into some stuff and I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get help. I don't know who to turn to. And I said, I'm making my way to my mom. She said, have you talked to her yet? And I said, no. So you're the first person I've told this. And um, she said, well, I'll take you to your mom. She can tell her. And then we can go from there. So I said, all right. And, and it just really, it hit me really hard knowing that, have I gotten this bad that, um, you know, they're, they're thinking that I may die soon, that I may be, they may be preparing for my funeral service. And I was like, wow, that was just so, um, I, I, you know, it was a feeling that just, it just woke me up in a sense. It also made me feel like crap at the same time because I thought, damn, what the hell am I doing to myself? Took me over to my mom's and I brought my mom out and I, I told her the same thing. And, you know, before I could, tell her I wanted help. I needed help. She was saying, you know what, son, I, I, I prayed for this moment. I've been praying for this day to happen. I've sat up countless nights waiting for PD or the ambulance or somebody to come over and tell me, you know, I've seen PD and the ambulances go through our neighborhood several nights. And I hoped and prayed that they were coming to my house to tell me one of two things, either one that they found you dead somewhere or that you're in jail. And she goes, and I say that because if they found you dead somewhere, I would know you weren't suffering no more. And, um, you, you know, to hear that from your own mother, man, it, it, it tore me up in a, in a lot of different ways, but it also opened my eyes. And, um, it, it, you know, to hear that from my mom, I was initially, I got a little upset, but I didn't say anything. I just, and then she said, and if they said you were in jail, at least I would know you had a roof over your head and you were getting fed. And I was like, wow. And she said, and, 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 
you know, I don't say that because I, I, I want to wish you dead, but she goes, I, I know how bad you were getting. And, and, you know, that was, that would have given me some comfort knowing where you were, were and that you were okay. And, and I told her I needed help. I don't know where to start. So she said, well, mental health is right here. I'm going to call somebody and we'll take you over there. Wow. And, wow. That's uh, a real powerful story, Joe. Thank you. And, um, she's, you know, I went to mental health. I got to the doorway and then she said, oh, well, you're going to talk to somebody and they're going to send you across the street to behavioral health. And I said, okay. So we walked over, we got to the doorstep. I took one step in and I looked back and I was like, you know, where's my mom? And, and, you know, a friend of mine, you guys are supposed to come with me. Aren't you coming with me? And they said, no, they said, nope. If you want to do this, if you're really serious about doing this, then you got to do it on your own. We'll be here to support you, but we can't hold your hand through this process. You have to do it on your own. You said you were going to quit a few other times and you never did. So this has to come from you and you only. So I went through behavioral health in um, Tuba City for four months, outpatient. I went, um, um, you know, I made all my appointments. I just, I had finally made a choice. I wanted to see my son. I wanted to be a father to my son. I wanted to be a, a son to my mother. I wanted to be a brother to my brothers. And um, I needed a way out or I was going to die. Um, so I went through behavioral health in Tuba, like I said, for four months, outpatient. Then I, with the suggestions of my friends and family, I went to an inpatient facility in Long Beach, California called uh, Changing Spirits for, uh, for men. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, I went out there for six months, six months. And, and I really learned a lot about myself. Um, you know, I was able to, to finally learn who I was, what I was a part of and why, you know, I had chosen to do the things that I did and, you know, what, what took me down that path and what brought me back. And, and, you know, part of it was, you know, it's funny because one of the episodes you guys talked about being half Navajo, half Hopi and being part was something I dealt with, you know, and I didn't, I don't remember it having a detrimental effect on me, but I just remember times where I was told, hey, you're not, you're not Hopi enough going out with the Navajos. All right, well, you're not Navajo enough. Go back to the Hopis. <laughs> oh, you're from the city. Go with the city Indians over here on this side. And going out with the nerds, I'm like, I don't know where I belong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's crazy, Joe, but thank you for sharing. Yeah. We greatly appreciate that you sharing was... your story. Uh, Carl, I got some tissues right here. <laughs> you know, so seeing, seeing that your eyes are getting a little bit soggy there. So, But, you know, that's a very, very touching story. And I think that, you know, one of the things that I did want to say at the beginning, because, you know, for the most part, most of our listeners are understanding of how our podcast is and we are kind of more on the lighthearted side, but definitely a difficult subject, difficult topic for a lot of people out there. Because then, you know, when you talk about addiction, Joe, you shared your story and addiction has definitely affected my family. I know that it's affected your family, Carl, that there's probably not a single family out here that addiction hasn't touched. And so, you know, I think that a lot of people probably can relate to, you know, part of your story, Joe. And, you know, it's really interesting, you know, to the fact that you're sharing, uh, I guess what that mental state is that you're in when you're addicted to something, especially like meth, because now I know that, you know, for some of the people that I know who've been strung out on some things, now I know that they were probably strung out on, on G yeah, for, yeah. for how that they acted. But, you know, <laughs> I, I think, you know, carrying the conversation forward that, you know, cause, cause I think between the three of us that we could probably share a whole lot about addiction and from our own personal stories and, you know, Carl, you know, trying to compare his addiction to uh, cameras. It's <laughs> <laughs> a powerful addiction. This is a powerful drug. God damn it. It's taking over my life. <laughs> you, you know, one, one thing that occurred to me when you were telling your story uh-huh. is that, I mean, like how, 
how did you find drugs? Like, how do you, how do you do that? How do you, you know, like, <laughs> you do I, I, I know it's not, I know, you know, kids that are listening, you know, this is nothing that you should be doing, but it's weird, <laughs> but it's weird because how do you go about, like, you go to somebody and say, Hey, I'm looking for drugs. <laughs> do you just go up to somebody and say that? Or like, how does it all start? Does they, do they just say that, hey, I'm selling, do they open up their trench coat and say, <laughs> you know, I got a bag of uh, weed here and some meth on this side here. I got that good, good. I got yeah. that good, good here. <laughs> it's so weird because you, you never hear, like, how do you, uh, how do you find it? Well, it, it's, you know, you guys had mentioned earlier, you were aware that, I mean, the, the marijuana is, it, it's everywhere. It's all yeah. over the place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it's, it's you know, it, it's not hard to come by. It, it's cheap to make so to speak i mean the same with the meth i mean with the super labs that are being built and things like that it's it's very accessible it's very cheap i mean twenty dollars at, at the time i was doing it twenty dollars was enough to get three or four people high and keep them up for two or three days dang really you know, that's how powerful that's that stuff was and and i think it's you know you when you're in the uh, party i mean you know during college my college days uh, you know, in the party scene, there were there was a few people in the back or sitting outside smoking a little weed. And if you wanted to either partake or, you know, you you kind of gradually slid into that little uh, group and said, hey, man, what you smoke? Let me have a hit or that kind of thing. And most of the time they were more than willing to share with you because, hey, the more the merrier kind of thing. I guess. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and, and, and there it just it just turned, you know, into, you know, it could carry on a, a simple conversation like this. You know, I could say, hey, God, what you doing? You know, we could talk about partying days and yeah. then slide right into, well, hey, you you smoked a little at one time where you drank a little, man, you ought to try some weed. This is a lot better than, you know, we start comparing the drugs and, and trying to entice people to do them with you because what, what do they say? Misery loves company kind of thing. And, and it, you know, it's weird because it, you know, people are, are are fascinated by it. They're scared of it at the same time, but there's there's an interest there uh, because I think once you're addicted or you're once you're high, it, it's there's a sense of freedom there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, there's a sense of euphoria that, again, like I said, it makes you feel like you're on top of the world. It makes it makes you, you feel like a superhero. Yeah, to exactly. A degree. It, it really does, and that, <laughs> that's the scary part because that. You know, after that 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 first intense high, too, you can never get that again. It's yeah, yeah. Chasing I, the dragon. Yeah, definitely. I heard that before. And, and then you're constantly chasing that that first high, and you never get it. And and not not from my own experiences, because I like to think of myself as, as a good boy, <laughs> just, a peer just boy. Like I'm a peer boy, but, but from the experiences of somebody I know, let's call him K Man. <laughs> and, and, and so, you know, I, I think from K-Man's experiences, it's that you really, you know, it's really you learn how to obtain these drugs through people that are closest to you, cousins, really? siblings. Yeah. They know people that know her to get it, either that or they're slaying themselves. And then I think that the more that you explore outside of your network, especially when you're young, like in those junior high, high school days, that you really do learn who the dealers are. Yeah, And then you learn the lingos because no, Carl, you don't just walk up to somebody and say, hey, I want to smoke some drugs. <laughs> what, 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 kind of, what kind of stash do you got? It's You really do learn that lingo, especially like that, like the quantities of what something is, you know, a dime or a 20 or a QP or all the way up to a pound. And so there's all these different terminologies and it changes between whether you're talking about marijuana, cocaine or um crystal meth g and so yeah it's, yeah it's like this yeah. street education i guess that you that yeah, you yeah, obtain and then i think that you know especially like in those younger years once you're labeled as a user because like like joe said you know somebody sees you getting high or somebody sees you 
uh, smoking G or snorting cocaine or drinking alcohol, that they know that you're in a way, quote unquote, cool. And so then, <laughs> then you start getting invited to the parties. Then you start getting invited to indulge because uh, you, like like Joe said, misery loves company. And so the people that are getting blazed, they want somebody to get blazed with. And they're saying, oh, K-Man gets high. So let's go invite K-Man to get blazed with us. Or <laughs> yeah. or maybe K-Man, you know, has some weed on him. And so let's, let's go invite him and see, see what he has. And then it's interesting because in a way that, a culture is developed from people that do drugs. Yeah. And, yeah. And see, see, I'm just, I'm just waiting for um, like a camera party, like a camera <laughs> addiction party. Other and camera so, users. Like camera users. <laughs> hey, you know, you, you shot some good 35 millimeter film, you know, come in, come and sample some of the 120 film. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm still waiting for that party to happen. You know, Carl loves this. You know, he, let's invite him to those parties. I want to be invited to those parties. Carl's but, got the best images. <laughs> Carl has some good shots of. Uh, you, you'll never get as high you'll until you get his first image from his camera. But you know, all in all, you know, we we joke around that addiction, and yes, I because I'm I'm a shut in. I I never knew that that could exist like that. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, of course, I knew that. You know, my family members, not not my you know, in, internal family members, but my external family members. Extended family members. Yeah, that, that does that. But I never knew that they they did it. Yeah. Like to a way, I knew that they did it, but I never knew that they did it to the extent mm-hmm. of what they're doing it as. And and so, uh, Joe, if I can ask you this question, sure. uh, be, being a recovered uh, addict yourself, what, what goes through your mind when you see other people doing drugs like in the community or if you know of folks that are doing drugs or if you see somebody that has a high? What, what type of thoughts run to your head when you see something like that? You know, I, I, I wonder and, and I know that they're going through something. They're, they're having a hard time dealing yeah. with something, coping with something, and this was their way. And then I also think there's, you know, you know, I try to make it a, a point to interact within my own safety means, of course, and, and, and at least let them know, um, hey, you ever need to talk? You need someone to, to you know, to, to meet with or to, to speak with that's non-judgmental, non-biased, because, you know, what I've also found out is, is, is family. Our own families can be the most judgmental and the most biased people when it comes to things like that because they care, but their, their way of showing that care is, you know, it, it tends to look like anger, disappointment, and things like that. And that, that's all there, and we need to be told those things but at the same time you know in order to deal with somebody who's struggling with addiction um i i found it you know i used to work for hopi behavioral health services for about two and a half years and yeah yeah you know i became the unofficial meth expert because i could relate to all the meth users you know there was a time joe can you talk to so-and-so i think he's on meth i need to find out if he is and how do you talk to him and i'm in there talking to him and the guy leaves and he comes back and they said joe they're they're asking for you now this this meth user's asking for you. oh my gosh and i said that's fine bring him in and and it you know, it helped because I could speak their language. I knew the lingo. I could relate with them, you know. And as as addicts, you know, we, we constantly, we, we hear people who really want to help. And we can see it. We can feel it. Mm-hmm. Then you have those who, who want to who want to use their education, their 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 status, their PhDs or whatnot, and, and try to bullshit you and say, you know, they're not really trying to help you. They're just, you know, showing face, so to speak. And, you know, we went to a meeting one time when I was in, in rehab, and, and there was about five of us sitting there, and we thought— this guy that came up, PhD. Um, we thought, 
this guy's full of shit. <laughs> he don't know the first thing, and he's just talking out his, his books and, and whatnot. He has no idea. You know, there was no compassion. There was yeah. No empathy there was just, he was just, in, in a sense, putting us down. According to Harvard study. <laughs> so, it, it you know, we, we, we see that and we sense that, but I think to be um, personable and, and compassionate towards others, just offering a, a hand um, within reason, of course, because we have to empower them we don't want to enable them. And a lot of people don't know that. So that's something I tried to do and did for a short time, going to all the villages and, and educating them. This is enabling. This isn't. If you're going to allow your your family member, you know, and I heard I had a good conversation with the with the member out here who said, you know what, I, I've got my my son. I let, I'd rather have him in the house doing meth in my house rather than doing out there with who knows who. And I thought, you know what, that's just a ticking time bomb. It's only a matter of time before he hurts you. And in some some serious cases, before he hurts you, before he sexually molests or or does something serious like that to one of the one of the kids, you know, we see a lot of that. It's sad and wow. it's heartbreaking and it, and wow. it's it's scary because you know family members who are under the influence are hurting their own family members. They're they're killing grandparents. They're killing their own oh, brothers gosh. and sisters. They're they're raping, molesting, and, and things like that to their own daughters, their own nieces, and things like that. And that's that's. That's the really dark side of it, and we don't hear a lot about it. Yeah, about that, or or we hear it and we we kind of no, that's not that can't happen to me, or that that's not happening here. But it, it you know the fact of the matter is it, it goes on, and that's how bad people get. So offering you know help to people and at least telling them I'm here for you. There's a way out. I'm living proof. There's a way out. When Definitely. you're ready to talk, come on over. Definitely. And yeah. Joe, Joe, you kind of got me feeling bad about cracking jokes on this episode. <laughs> <laughs> as, as I say that, let me say this joke. <laughs> do, do you know how you say addict in uh, reservation lingo? No, I don't. I haven't heard that one. It's it's head. Head. It's head. Anytime you're addicted to anything, it's always you're a pothead, you're a G Oh, yeah, head, yeah, that's you're right. Huh? Head. <laughs> yeah, head. I should have known that. You're native. So when you're on? working at Behavioral Center, Joe, they're probably saying, oh, let's go get Joe. He's the G-header. Right here. Let's go <laughs> yeah. Get him to help you out. He's the godfather of G-heads. <laughs> he's, he's the godfather of G-heads. But I guess, you know, in terms of the way that we're talking about this, you know, kind of talking about at least what we've seen in terms of addiction and how it makes our people react that out here on the reservation that it almost kind of uh, because I guess you see so many people that are addicted to either alcohol or drugs, some some type of drug that in a way it creates this stereotype of how our yeah. people act in terms of depending on what they're uh, what they're influenced by. And it's funny because then I think that, you know, there's there's a joke behind um, especially alcohol that around Hopis, it's always you only want to speak Hopi when you're drunk. Yeah. Or you only want to speak Hopi when you're under the influence. And it's funny because, you know, I, I had a buddy and, you know, he would he would drink a lot. He would drink often. And then every time he would get, you know, get that good buzz going, yeah. then he'd always start talking Hopi and he would always, you know, say this line. He would always say this line. I can't exactly remember what that line was. But one time I was scrolling through YouTube and just, you know, Google searching yeah. Hopi, seeing all the Hopi videos that are out there about our people. That this one video popped up and this line that my buddy was always reciting was from this YouTube video. <laughs> <laughs> so he would speak with me from this YouTube video video that I, he must, obviously that's where he learned the line from, but it always come out every time he's all buzzed out. <laughs> yeah, we, that, that falls in that uh, addictive behavior and you'll you'll see some of that stuff come up as, as people are, are presenting themselves or the way they act, the things they do, you know, it was... You know, I had a lot of I had a lot of um, amends to to do. You know, stealing from my best friend, yeah. my mom, 
taking things from my mom and selling them so to support my own habit. You know, it was, it was part of the the healing process, part of my recovery. And I made amends with as many people as I could. You know, there's still people today, you know, a few that didn't accept my apology and said, you know, I want nothing to do with you. And that's fine. That's okay. That's okay. You know, I burned those bridges and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm responsible for that. And I own up to my own actions and, and responsibilities. And, and, you know, I hope that someday they can see differently, but you know, I'm not going to lose sleep over that either. At the same time, you know, I got to keep moving forward and, and hopefully inspire and empower others and, and show them, you know, like I said before, there's a way out. You know, I, you'll see me, you know, when I post things on, on Facebook, you know, I always tell people at the end of some of my sentences, you know, I say, stay in the fight. You know, we, we're not going to win all the battles. There's going to be days where, you know, like we can all relate to. I mean, just a part of life, you know, paying bills. Hey, yeah. I can't pay that bill right now. Sometimes it's little things like that that can throw addicts back into walls. You know, F it, man. I'm just going to, I'm just going to get high and smoke a bowl. I'll feel better. So so like, you know, with, with all of the information that is all thrown out there, um, is there like a difference between uh, a a white man being high and a native being high? Is, is there like a difference between that? The, the white man's (laughs) probably getting high at the country club. (laughs) And then the, the Hopi guy is probably getting high behind the Tumtsoki or in a lot of villages at the Katsinki. The reason why I say that is because, you know, we, we always talk about like we always see our own people getting yeah. high and stuff like that. And we never see like Bahanas uh, getting high or high on the streets. Of course, we kind of see him every now and then, but we, we kind of kind of just brush it off. Yeah. Yeah. So we already know. We already know what. um what what Hopis look like when they're high. So I, I, that was my question. I know it's like a weird I question. I, I actually, actually, Carl, I think that that's a good point because then, you know, I, I think that unfortunately, especially like in, in mainstream society, right? Like they, they, I guess they display certain populations doing something in a certain way. And so like for, yeah. for Pahanas, white people, if they're getting high or if they're drinking, it's always at a party. Yeah. Or it's always a good time. Like it's some <laughs> sort of celebration. Yeah. But then when it comes to brown people, especially native people, all the times that we're getting high or drunk, it's like in these uh, r- real uh, shacks r- and, shacks <laughs> and you know, passed out on the ground somewhere. Yeah. And it, it, it's, you know, it, it's kind of, it creates this really negative narrative about brown folks, especially native people that when we're always being displayed in a certain type of way, when it relates to alcohol and, and drugs. And, you know, I mean, I, I, I'd hate to say that, you know, oh, I'm sure that, you know, there's natives out there that are drinking and doing drugs in a cool way in, 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 in a way to where they're celebrating life and celebrating their successes, you know, but I mean, I, I really do think it, it, it is something like that. You know, this is such, such a broad topic and, yeah. you know, there, there's so much to discuss because I guess, you know, uh, Carl kind of talked about it a little bit that he hasn't had a whole lot of experiences with, with addiction, but, you know, I, I've dabbled a little bit in different things and, you know, I think that, you know, and that's why I really thank you, Joe, for sharing your story. Cause I'm sure. sure that, you know, it takes a lot of guts and a lot of um, a, a lot of uh, effort to share something so personal. Oh yeah, about yeah, yourself, that is that is very... uh, to kind of show your your weak side, and it is scary because you know I was kind of sitting there listening to your story. I was like, oh man, should I share my thoughts and you know <laughs> share my experiences and you know kind of getting a little nervous. But you know I, yeah. I can attest that you know when you are under the influence of some of this stuff that it does it, it in a way it takes the edge off life because we all know how hard life can be out there, yeah. and then like that you do it. 
so that you can be sociable with others sometimes yeah, to, yeah, to, you exactly. know, whether you're, you know, meeting somebody for a drink or, you know, going to a party because, you know, all your friends are there and then indulging in whatever's available there. And, and so um, I've seen, you know, the bad side of addiction. I've, I've experienced a little bit of it to a degree, not quite to where you've experienced it, Joe, but I've seen others, people that I cared about, uh, people that, you know, I love go through something like yeah. that. And in some cases, it ended good. It ended up in the same situation that you did, the recovery, but I've seen it end in the worst possible way that it could end. Mm. And, oh, yeah. And, and, yeah. and so, you know, I think that a lot of us out here experience that or see that. And so I guess, you know, um, speaking on a more positive to end, to end the podcast on a more positive note, um, and this is, you know, all three of us can talk about this. Are, are, what, what are some of the, and Joe, you kind of talked about it a little bit, but what are some of ways, some of the ways that addiction can be helped, especially out here on the reservation? I think, you know, some of the ways that, you know, we, we, you know, I mentioned earlier, we, um, in Tuba over at the Tuba City Regional Healthcare Corporation, we've, we've built a, a brand new community counseling center. We started services and, and part of the, the vision was that was to begin offering, you know, services in, in those exact areas, substance abuse, um, suicide, um, um, you know, just people having a hard time, you know, and, and um, that was part of the, the dream and, and, and the vision to, to get to get help to those who needed it, to give hope to those who didn't have any hope and to show them how to go about um, um, getting through their addiction. You have um, um, Navajo Nation Behavioral Health across the street just as well. And there's some other services that are coming about, but, you know, we've taken it to another, we've taken another step where we're going to try to, you know, myself providing um, education, um, life skills education to help avoid those situations to help deal with, you know, possible addiction early on, you know, communication, relationship building, things like that. You know, th those are the things that I think we need to continue to work on. You know, when we have good communication with our family, with our children, you know, makes it a little easier to come to you with a problem. You know, what this is going on without judging them or without knocking them down kind of thing, you know. So, oh, awesome, yeah, that's awesome, great. Joe. What so, about you, Carl? What, what are some <clears throat> thoughts, solutions to help people like yourself with that real bad uh, camera addiction? <laughs> Make sure you talk to Soul first before purchasing uh, another item like that because uh, Soul is getting the bill. Make, make sure Soul handles your finances. Soul handles the finances. No, what um, what was I going to say? I was you lost before, me before, before you really interrupted. Before I was really interrupted with my addiction. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I'm holding the truth stick. <laughs> My turn. Hold, I'm holding the conch, okay? The sacred conch. <laughs> uh, I, I think what, what um, like how, what, what Joe was, was saying to pertaining to like getting help, getting people yeah. like that. And, and it's, it's weird because I wanted to ask you if you, if you had a choice, you know, if you had that choice and if it was possible to go back in time, would you do something different? back then or would you keep that same path because it led you up to something that was great i you know i've, I've thought about that on on occasion and i you know a part of me honestly a part of me would have wanted to say you know what i would have said no i wouldn't have done drugs at all but you know the the rest of me the other 70 percent of me is is you know what i, I i've accepted the fact of, of where i'm at and i think everything that led up to that has has brought me here you know, I often tell people, you know, you, the choices that you make dictate the path that you go on. Oh, yeah. They don't determine who you are, but they do dictate the path. You want to go on that dark 
deep dark path that um, um, you may not return from, then you know these these are a reflection of your choices. But they don't necessarily define who you are. You know, you've got a lot of life ahead of you. There's a lot of things you can still do and become. You know, it's just you know we have to get through those those tough times. And you know, some of us don't cope very well with certain things. Um, you know, after I got through my my recovery, I came out. I felt like a new man, but some of the legal issues that I had, they were still there. Some of the, you know, destruction I caused, it was still there. I had to deal with it as soon as I got out. But the difference was I had been, you know, I had a tool belt now. Oh, I, yeah. I've got coping yeah. skills. I've got ways, anger management, uh, stress reduction, all those things that I can use now. You know, shoot, I got to pay this damn fine driving on a suspended license. And I could just say, you know, the hell with it and, and then go on and smoke a bowl and be done with it. But you know what? Hey, I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to take it one step at a time. You know, I used to think that was the cheesiest line, one step at a time, one day at a time. I'm like, oh, yeah, stupid. (laughs) But I live by that now. But I've taken it a step further, one moment at a time. And I applied that to everything else I do, one workout at a time, one meal at a time, you know, um, and and, and narrowed it down that much because then it becomes manageable. It doesn't, I don't overwhelm myself and and, and fall into, you know, stress-ridden day type of thing. And, um, you know, it it, it just, it, it broadens your, your horizons to everything else you're capable of doing and, and you start finding things. You know, it took me 30 years to actually accept who I was and what I was a part of. I'm proud that I'm mixed up, that I'm a, um, you know, an Avo, Hopi, a Cinnaboyan, Mexican, and, and, and Paiute and, you know, things like that. that oh, yeah. I've just learned. I'm, I'm proud of that, you know, and, and um, it took me 30 years to come to that realization and, and get through my addiction. You know, actually, at the end of this month, the last weekend of April, I'll be 16 years clean and sober, so... Awesome. Awesome. This is actually right. good timing. So, well, thank you. Thank you. 16 years is something to celebrate. Awesome. I mean, even one year yeah. is oh, something yeah. to yeah, celebrate no, for something like well, that. One day for some people. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. One yeah. day. So, I, I, I yeah. see people like that, you know, on, on, on social media, and I connect with them and just drop a, you know, some encouraging supportful words. And if they want anything else, you know, I always give them information. This is where you can come. This is where you can call. Um, and, and again, you know, with our new services, you know, we have a lot, we have a lot to offer them. And of course, like any, any, anything else that's new, it's going to start slow right now, which just educational life skills, education. So, but I can teeter in the substance abuse and in some of those areas, because that's where my experience is. But eventually we're going to be offering behavioral health services, um, mental health services. It's going to grow and it's going to grow into a big, beautiful thing that is much needed um, in this area. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for your stories. Thank you for all the information of where you could get all of that. And, you know, we'll we'll go ahead and link all of the information of where you could get help for suicide prevention, for drug addiction in our our YouTube videos and everything like that. Uh Appreciate that. And, you you know, it's it's time for us to get on out of here. So, um, you know, I have my addiction to take care of. Uh, (laughs) I know that. I've already got you scheduled in. (laughs) (laughs) So, so if if anybody out there has any dry eyes left after this episode, we'd like to thank you all for listening and uh, definitely like to uh, can't wait for uh, season five to start. Oh yeah, exactly. So look out for that on our YouTube. Uh, we will be t- uh, giving you 
sort of like little updates on here what, what, what's going on and we'll be uh, doing a lot of more YouTube uh, in the in the near future here. we're going to be doing more YouTube content doing more cooking with J-Man some more us be these guys and <laughs> uh, right. be on the lookout for uh, maybe some a couple bonus episodes oh to, yeah to keep yeah. you uh, exactly. tucked in tidy and, and get your addiction for Carl and J-Man <laughs> um, appeased until we go into next season alright so you know if you guys want to donate to Carl and J-Man go to anchor.com FM slash CJ podcast 85 to listen to our, our episodes and to become our 30 pack contributors. Or if you want to donate a dollar, go to buymeacoffee.com slash CJ podcast to donate $1 or more. Definitely. And uh, if you're not following us on social media, you can find us at Carl and J-Man all across the boards on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. If you're listening to this on YouTube, don't forget to smash that like button. Hit that subscription button so that way we can uh, get a couple of steps closer to getting that beautiful plaque once we reach 100,000 subscribers. And so uh, I guess until next time, that's pretty much it from us. All right. Well, thank you for listening to Carl and J-Man Save the World podcast. My name is Carl and this is my best friend, J-Man. So long. Quack, quack.